Hello, Kothra. My name is Helena. And I'm Erin. And you're listening to Courtyard Radio. Hey. Hey. You're listening to Courtyard Radio. So, Erin, you are back today as a co-host. How do you feel about that? Incredibly excited and incredibly nervous. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Because you were on here before, right? For the first episode. Yes, I was on our first episode introducing the courtyard team for the e-zine. And how is that going for you right now? It's going great. I think everyone hopefully will agree that the e-zine, it looks great. A lot of the materials are amazing and I've enjoyed writing and reading so much. It's absolutely gorgeous. And this is like the crown in our <laughs> courtyard project, I think, this podcast. So it's great to be back. Yeah, it's definitely so nice to have you on again, just because we've progressed so much with not only the podcast, but the website. And I feel like we're gaining so much new knowledge of how to finally navigate things and everything. So it's so exciting to finally have you on talking about children's grief. Do you want to speak more on what we're talking about today? Yeah, so the reason I'm here as a guest host is to talk about children's grief and specifically children's grief awareness because November was Children's Grief Awareness Month. So in a nutshell, what this means is what children's grief feels like for children of all ages and how to be there to not only support them, but to truly understand them and to be the best advocate and friend that you can be for someone who is grieving. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like it's so important to talk about, and I'm really glad we're bringing awareness to this topic, especially with our guest who's coming on, Ian. Erin, would you also like to speak more about Ian? Yes, so Ian works at the Lighthouse for Grieving Children in Oakville, which is a not-for-profit organization that I have had the privilege to be attending since my own experience with loss. They are absolutely tremendous, and the work they do is so wonderful and Ian has been the leader of what they call groups my group at Lighthouse so he has been definitely a huge part of my experience and journey so I'm so excited to have him here to speak with you all yes we're so excited so now we're going to be introducing Ian to all of you So hi, Cawthra. We are back with our guest today. Do you want to speak a bit about yourself and about Lighthouse now? Absolutely. Uh, So my name is Ian and I work at the Lighthouse for Grieving Children in Oakville. Um, I've been working there for a couple of years now and I was a volunteer there for several years before that. And um, at the Lighthouse, we, uh, we provide peer support services to grieving children and teens. Yes, thank you so much for that introduction. So now we're just going to get into a bit more specifics for questions. So something we wanted to kind of talk about first, just to make the audience aware, is really how does grief affect children? Well, I suppose one sort of glib answer, uh, it doesn't cover everything, but one sort of glib answer would be that it affects children the same way it affects adults. And I think too often adults don't realize that children and teens are capable of feeling, especially the children, it's surprising sometimes uh, to adults that they're capable of feeling the exact same emotions, the, the fear, the grief, the, the guilt, the sadness, um, a three-year-old can feel the, the depth and breadth of those emotions just as much as a, 
63-year-old can. Um, there are unique differences, of course. Um, one of the things, especially with, with children, is that they are not fully formed adults, obviously. And yeah. um, a child, especially a younger child, may have different worries, different reactions, because they may start to forget who the person was that died as they get older. Um, another area where it's different, where grief is different for children and teens, is uh, because they are still developing, there's a realization on how the future is going to be different for them. If you're 45 years old and um, a close family member dies, it's a horrible thing. But at 45, you're pretty much the person you were going to be. You've, you've been that person for the last several years. You're not really going to change much from 45 to 50. If you're five years old, the person you are at five is going to be very different from the person you are as an adult. And yeah. the realization that um, all these future events, that person in your life will not be there, that they won't be there when you graduate high school, if you go to university, if you get married, if you have children, all these milestone moments, that person in your life who has died will not be there. And that's one of the biggest differences um, between a grieving child or teen and a grieving adult. Yeah. And I definitely like how you introduced that it's almost like there's a lot of society that doesn't recognize that children have the ability to grieve. And I feel like that's what's so important to recognize because often we hear about adults grieving over the aspect of loss. But really, also when you think about children and mentally how difficult that must be during your developmental process, it's just really crazy to me. Yeah, absolutely. And um a lot of, you see a couple of reactions that are very common from adults to, to grieving children. One reaction is never talk about the death, never talk about the person in order to protect that child. Yeah. That's, that doesn't work. You're not protecting anybody by doing that. The other reaction quite often is that adults are terrified of talking to a child or a teen who's had somebody die because they're scared of saying the wrong thing or they're scared of further upsetting the person. Um, and with regards to further upsetting, as I often say to people uh, when they ask me for advice on this, um, pretty much the worst thing that could happen to that child has already happened. So anything you say isn't going to make that worse. I mean, that is a vast generalization, of course, but um, they've already had really the worst thing happen to them. Um, now that they've had that happen to them and they can't talk about it, that's making it worse by making them remain silent about it. In fact, if you've ever been around a child who's had something exciting happen to them, a big moment, something, whether it's a little kid who's seen a fire truck race by down the street with the lights and siren going, and that's, wow, they just want to tell you about that. Like, good luck trying to stop a kid from telling you about that. Well, now let's take the biggest thing that has ever happened to them and let's not let them talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's insane, really. Yeah, for sure. And that also makes me think of something else is what is actually the appropriate response to a child that is grieving? What are some of the ways you can really be there for them? Well, actually, you just provided the best answer. Uh, be there. That is that the best thing you can do is be there for for a child or teen who's who's grieving. Um, everybody grieves differently. And so there is no one pat answer that that covers that for everyone. Um, and everybody grieves differently, and they grieve differently on different days. A grieving child one day may be full of joy and happiness and laughter, and later that same day may be um, 
sad and wanting to be alone and crying. Um, I think too often that people expect a grieving person to always be quote unquote grieving, not realizing that grieving is a range of emotions. It's you can be happy and still be grieving. Um, so being present for a person, being there, allowing them to direct how your interaction is going to go. Um, if they want to talk about the person, just being there and listening to that person. Um, and also being the person that doesn't try to one up whatever story you hear with your own yeah. story. You know, if somebody tells you that, yeah, my, my dad died and, and they start telling you about it and you say, oh yeah, yeah. Um, my grandfather died. Yeah. I know what, I know what that's like. Well, you're not helping anybody by doing that. Um, you may think you're making a connection. Um, even if you have a very similar experience, maybe your father has died too. Um, yeah, if, if there's the appropriate time, you can say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, my, my dad died too. But still, don't turn it into a story about you. you. You can maybe just share that and then let that person continue. Let them tell their story. Yeah, building off of that from experience, I think a term I've heard a lot and that definitely applies is people try to turn it into the grief Olympics. Mm. Especially, I think, yeah. people our age. I know shortly after my dad died, people would come to me and be like, oh, yeah, you know, my grandpa died and I was actually, you know, five and then this happened yeah. or, you know, I was going through a really difficult time and then the two of these people died and like it's, you know, you feel bad for each other and you can connect, but there's no point of flipping it. Why can't it be we've both gone through this hard time? Let's be there for each other. Yeah. And in terms of adults, hearkening back to that point, I think a lot of adults underestimate and overestimate what a child is capable of they either either think this kid is going to fail for the rest of their life or they're going to move on and be ready by next week mm. there is yeah. no in between it's really a lack of listening it's almost as if everybody prepares for a response rather than acknowledging the actual emotions that the child may be facing it's like okay I'm going to think of how to deal with this and I'm going to think about what I should say. And that really contradicts the whole point of what Ian said, you know, being there for the child. It's not about preparation. It's just about being in the moment. Of course, there are some things you can prepare for, like, you know, if they're feeling upset, maybe you have an activity that they might want to do and that you can introduce, but it's more so just being on a day-by-day -day basis, a moment-by-moment -moment basis of dealing with, with how they're feeling rather than how your response should look like. Yeah, absolutely. And um, a big part of, I mean, you, you've both touched on on the response that, that one might give, so not preparing a response. Um, a big part of being present for somebody is also being prepared to not have a response at all. Um, silence is a response. Uh, just being there physically and emotionally, just as a comfort, um, you're, not going, you're not going to be able to fix what's happened. Whatever you say isn't going to fix anything. So sometimes the best response is to just be quiet, let the person direct how your interaction is going to be. If they want to tell you the story, let them tell the story. Um, but be comfortable in silence. I think too often people are uncomfortable with each other in silence. Um, and yeah. I wish that's something that people could learn to, to be more comfortable with. Yeah, I think in general with a response to grief, a lot of people, especially if they haven't experienced it themselves in any form, they get uncomfortable 
talking about it. Yeah. If you mention this person or you mention loss, they get uncomfortable. Which which is really hard because obviously it makes sense. It's not a comfortable topic, but nothing is more uncomfortable than what the person went through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's true. That speaks. Yeah, it's that's kind of like what I was saying with the whole. You know, they've had the worst thing happen to them. You're not going to make it worse by mentioning the name of a person who's died. You know, they know that person has died. They're very much aware of it. I know that um, when my dad passed at his celebration of life, it was, you know, all of our family and close friends and stuff. And my two older brothers as well. Everyone kept coming in and asking the three of us, you know, how are you? Are you doing okay? And of course, the sentiment, the intention is there. But are we doing okay? Is it possible to do okay? How do you think we're doing? You know, there's... There's a problem with thinking before you speak, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, finding the right words. We have to understand that, you know, the vast majority of people are trying to be helpful. Um, it's just that people don't know the words to say. They don't know what to do. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like, especially often the first reaction is, oh, how are you? Because, you know, it's a basic sentence that everybody knows. How are you? Like, you say it when people are happy, you say it. When people are angry, you say when people are sad, but oftentimes you don't have the words to speak that you're not doing fine. Mm. You can't really categorize your emotions in that moment. You, some people don't even process it in that moment. So yeah. I think that sentence in general is, is is such a weird question too in our society. Yeah. Because you ask it every morning. No one ever says bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, doing good. How are you? You know, it's like kind of the just automatic. It's like that, like, almost like your mind trains you to kind of respond a certain way or just to ask a certain question. It almost reflects the nature of how we as a society kind of handle conversations almost. We often aren't prepared to actually ask in depth how people are feeling in a proper almost response, I guess. Um, but as Ian was saying, sometimes, and especially in your case, Erin, I feel like Sometimes that would have been a moment where that person just acknowledges what you're going through instead of, you know, kind of maybe pushing you to speak uh, from your experience. Because I feel like that's also the thing. Sometimes people aren't comfortable sharing what they're going through. It's kind of the whole idea is with boundaries, especially in children. Like what what would make me think that they would be able to process, you know, deeper levels and, you know, to articulate to me what they were if they were feeling sad or anything and then on a scale of dealing with children's grief I feel like that would be even harder for me to understand so yeah Helena on the topic of boundaries I'm glad you brought that up because in my case um, after my father died he died in the, the middle of the week and so of course I stayed off school for the rest of the week and the next week it was just a time for me to to process and to be with my family and I was unaware of anything going on at school but uh, one of my teachers told the entire class that my father had passed without asking me, without my knowledge. We had just, you know, emailed guidance, said, you know, she's going to be away. The, the protocol, we followed that and said, you know, she is not here for this reason. And then it just kind of fled out of this teacher to all of my classmates, even classmates I didn't really know, even people in other classes. And of course, this this teacher's intentions were were good. They were pure. She just wanted what was best for me. Yeah. But it brings me to that point of 
where's the protocol? Where is the, the do's and don'ts for some place like a school where I cannot be the first person to go through grief? There have been many before me. There will be many more, sadly, but it's a fact of life. And I think especially in schools, there has to be some sort of like sensitivity training or just, you know, a, a to-do list. There has to be some sort of some sort of protocol there. No, absolutely, Aaron. Um, and it's something um, I think we're making progress as a society. And I think schools are getting better at that. Uh, Lighthouse has been doing some work with with school boards uh, to that end. Um, and that's your story is honestly, that is one of the more common kinds of stories we hear from teens at Lighthouse is um, that it was announced to the school without any input from the actual person whatsoever. Um, and that's, and that, you know what, that might not bother some people, but it does bother others. And the point is, if you don't know, do you have the right to be broadcasting news that directly affects somebody else in that school environment? Yeah. And I think it's also just, as you said, recognizing the person who you're dealing with and allowing them to almost speak for themselves, you know, and I think that's a major thing. If even the parents of that child say, oh, I would like you to speak on this or I would not like you to. Ultimately, it is up to the person dealing with it at school who should be able to say to any figure at the school they're attending that I would like to speak about this privately with you and solely with you. And I would appreciate it not being said anywhere or I will be speaking with my peers later on when I feel more comfortable if that's the case. And as you said, like there are many people who deal with grief differently and especially in a school setting that can be especially difficult. And I can't imagine the middle of the week, let alone, but I feel like it is important to recognize, as you said, those boundaries and educating uh, systems in our society on how to respond in a way that benefits the person dealing with grief. And so Ian, um, I know you just briefly at the beginning and just now kind of spoke about Lighthouse. Would you kind of talk more about what kind of goes on? Um, what is how you may have gotten involved? Um, your experience? Anything like that? Yeah, sure. Um, so Lighthouse, uh, I mean, the brief sort of overview of Lighthouse of what we do and things have obviously, as everything else, this year uh, have been turned upside down. Um, we, of course, are conducting our groups online now as well. Um, but in the good old days, we would uh, we would run support groups for different age groups at Lighthouse. They're broken down. Um, we have tiny tots, which are preschool-aged kids, uh, sort of three to five range. We have children's groups, we have tweens, and then we have teen groups. And when a group runs uh, concurrently to that, there is also a parent room. So uh, the guardian or parent of the child or teen, um, they can come as well and, and be in a room with other adults and, and have their own discussions. Um, yeah, it's it's peer support. It's uh, It really is directed by the participants, by the children and teens. We just facilitate that conversation. We just allow them to, to have that conversation. And some nights, you know what, there are groups at Lighthouse where the mood is People just want to have fun. They just want to hang out. We're going to chill tonight. We're going to 
we're going to talk, we're going to play games. Uh, we have a part of the evening that's, that's free time where you, you don't have to sit and talk with us. You, you know, you can go shoot pool or hang out. Maybe you've made friends with somebody else in the group. Um, and then there's the other nights where the mood is just people want to talk. And sometimes we'll just sit and talk for the whole hour and a half that, that we're there. Um, and the fact, what I love about Lighthouse is that it is peer support. That's really important for me. That was one of the things that attracted me to it. Um, uh, I have my own experiences as a, as a grieving teen. My mom was killed in a car accident when I was 16. And uh, there wasn't anything like this around f for me back then. And I didn't have any interest in, in counseling. Uh, it had been suggested, um, that seeing a therapist or a counselor. And for whatever reason, because we all grieve differently, that didn't appeal to me. Mm -hmm. If I'd had the option of a peer support group, I don't know if I would have taken advantage of that or not, but it certainly appeals a lot more to me than, than therapy or, or counseling um, because it's not top down. It's not, it's not directed from an adult. It's, it's, it really is from the bottom up. It's from the people who have experienced this horrible thing and they are going to decide each night at Lighthouse. They decide how that night goes, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to do. Um, and at a time in the life, in a person's life, when they've lost so much control over their own lives because somebody has died and your world feels like it's been turned upside down, that's one little way of giving back some control to, to the children and teens, I feel. Yeah, I think as someone who attends Lighthouse, as a, <laughs> a part of the teen groups, why Lighthouse is so special to me is because um, I had actually seen a psychologist since I was young before the loss of my dad when I was 16. And what I needed is people my age who understood. Even though I had friends who were very supportive, I felt like I couldn't talk about this with them. This was a separate topic that was not taboo, not to any of their fault, but that they just didn't understand. They couldn't understand. And I wouldn't wish that on them either. But you want someone who, who truly knows and where I can just say, you know what, my dad died. This is what's happened. This is how I'm feeling. And this is how I have changed as a person. And they can just sit there and listen and accept that. Yeah. Because your whole outlook on life, especially for me, changed. I changed as a person. My views, my values changed. And my friends changed. So to have this newfound group that is 100% with me, has your back, there's an automatic connection to that that is so valuable. Yeah, that's first off. That's heartwarming to hear. <laughs> that, you're making me get all watery eyed. Um, <laughs> but but no, it's true. I mean, and that's that is it's wonderful to see that that um, it is it really is a judgment free zone. And you know, you're bringing together people from disparate backgrounds, um, every different. I mean, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds and and cultural backgrounds and whatever. You bring in your own differences to this group, and I've never seen anybody be judged or discounted for who or what they are because they're different from somebody else in the group. Um, everybody shows up there and you have this, this one really crappy thing in common and you can just be honest and talk about it and you know that the other people in the room get it. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like also like what you guys are touching on is that sometimes it feels totally different when you're talking to someone who doesn't know what you've gone through. Um, and although you know, I think everybody wants to emotionally empathize and relate on some level. It's very different to have an experience 
versus to have a response. And I feel like, especially with what Aaron was saying, having people you can talk to your age in a different setting other than maybe who you might have encountered, say, at school or if you're in extracurriculars is so important because I feel like even though, as you were saying, there's there isn't a taboo necessarily, but sometimes it is so hard to bring up those conversations with those closest to you at the moment. Yeah, as Ian said at the beginning about adults not knowing how to talk to children about this, how, underestimating, not realizing that they can feel these emotions. I think on some level that happens for us as well as teenagers, teenager to teenager. I know in some cases I mention my dad, even just, you know, in casual conversation, you know, oh, we used to do this together, or yeah, he liked that too. And I see friends of mine get uncomfortable or switch the topic. And it's not because they're rude or because they're trying to, you know, push me away. It's because they don't want to upset me. It's because they're being caring, which I do not fault them for at all. But it's different at Lighthouse because we realize that talking about it is caring, that understanding it and bringing it up is is how to be there. Yeah, I, I mean, I was lucky enough when I was in high school that I had I did have a good group of friends. Um and like you said, Aaron, I mean, they, I was, a, I could talk about my mom in front of them, um, but it wasn't always the most comfortable thing for them to sit through, uh, you know, for the same reasons that you said. Um, but I always wanted to, because it was, honestly, it was cathartic. I always, I wanted to talk yeah. about my mom. Um, uh, we had a really close relationship. She was like my best friend in a lot of ways. And all of a sudden this person's out of my life and I'm not allowed to talk about it with anybody. Um, so yeah, just, that's the thing that I think that, uh, and like, I'm glad you mentioned even your peers, Aaron, it's not just adults. It is people your own age as well. Don't realize that, um, talking about the person in your life who has died can be really, really helpful. It, it, it's, it's not even can be helpful. I, for me, it was a need. I needed to, I needed to talk about her. Definitely. I know there were times at school where I was just having a hard day and I'm like, you know what? I can't talk to friends or teachers so I would go out back on my spare to those trailers where um they keep drama sets <laughs> yeah. and I would just call my mom and we would just talk on the phone for like an hour because that's what I needed mm -hmm. okay so moving on from our general overview we're going to focus specifically on children's grief awareness month which was November and the day which is November 19th so even though that's past, we're going to give you a little snippet of what that month is all about and why it's so important and how we have marked it here in our neighborhood. Yeah, so Children's Grief Awareness Month, uh, and this is, um, it's not just a local thing, it's, uh, it's across North America. I think it's also been adapted in Britain, I really don't know actually, but it is definitely North America wide. Um, and uh, the, the symbol of, of children's grief is the blue butterfly. Um, I don't know who came up. I actually tried to, to find out. I tried to do a little bit of research and find out how did that, who decided that, yeah. who picked the blue butterfly? Um, and it seems to have been sort of an organic creation. Um, the butterfly was a symbol of hope. Uh, and the color blue um, became the, the color of, of children's grief. So... Um, Lighthouse and other organizations that, that do similar work across North America um, will do things like at Lighthouse, we, for the month of November, 
uh, we light up the building uh, in blue at night. Um, we also, this past November, we had a couple of fairly large structures lit in blue. Uh, there was a, um, uh, an installation, an art installation in Oakville. Um, the CN Tower was lit up blue for one night um, and the Toronto sign at uh, Toronto City Hall. Um, that was blue. Um, and I mean, the cynic in me says, well, great. What does that do? Uh, you, you lit up the CN Tower blue for a night. Well, yeah. And yeah, I mean, did it change anybody's life? No. But if it does create awareness uh, about children's grief, um, because that is, I mean, our focus is, is on peer support for grieving children. That is our focus. But an adjunct to that is um, creating awareness about children's grief, that this is an issue. Um, most of the statistics we have to use, unfortunately, come from the United States uh, because there isn't enough research into this in either country, but there is a little bit more done in the United States. Um, but basically, you're, you're, you're looking at one in 14 children will have a significant death in their life before they reach adulthood. Um, so this is a lot of people. We're talking about one in 14. Yeah. I mean, that's one to two kids per class. Um, yeah, so this this is a, a common thing, but it's a common thing that people hide from and are afraid to talk about. So by creating awareness about the fact that this is a reality, I mean, people die. And that's the one guarantee we all have in life. Uh, and unfortunately, some of those deaths are going to leave behind children. Um, and so if we create awareness about that and make it a topic that people realize that you can discuss this and be okay talking about it that you don't have to feel all weird and nervous and f afraid you're going to upset somebody, then maybe we can normalize yeah. death, which may sound strange, but that's really, that's what we yeah. want to do. I know for um, the actual day on the 19th, when everything was lit up, my mom and I decided to just take a drive and we went over to um, the lighthouse home in Oakville, as well as the park and then to Toronto and just seeing the lights. It was, it was kind of an experience for us as well, even though, anyone else in Nathan Phillips Square had no idea what it was. It was just blue. It was just pretty. Um, it was. St it still sort of felt like a symbol to us because we knew it, especially at Lighthouse with the whole garden. Also, they decorate the garden with the little um, gazebo and put all the butterflies. And in past years, they've done activities with the children, two teen groups, where we draw or print out a blue butterfly and write a message to whoever your special person is that has died and they put them up in a sort of art installation either in the building or in the garden so it's it's really is it's cathartic and it's a symbol of hope for us even if no one else knows what it means it's still something that we look at in such a different way and yeah for sure to the point of the statistics it really is so common and you don't realize that you think of it as an unfortunate tragedy what a what a coincidence or what a, a horrible thing to have happened when really it's I mean when you think of how many people die in a day in general it's so many and until I got to Lighthouse and I met another member of the teen group whose father died about a week after my father died and we were in the same group and we were the same age and I was like wow it really isn't so unusual or so yeah. hidden or so taboo or so bad it's it happens as horrible as it is it happens and it's not something that we should be afraid of or to hide yeah and it definitely is important um as you were saying 
it feels important to those who have gone through that experience. But I, as you guys are saying, it is so important to raise awareness because once again, anyone can go through it. And I feel like that also, when you when you almost see the image of the blue butterfly or you see the CN Tower lit up or, you know, you just see on that day or within that month, um, kind of that imagery of what children's grief is represented by, um, it almost makes you want to know more. And I think that's so important that everybody knows more. Like this conversation we are having right now is just so eye-opening for me especially, but it is so important for people to recognize because it really is so common. Okay, so now we're going to touch on a really important aspect of this podcast, which is how to support uh, not only others who are grieving, but yourself, and how do you really best find these resources and uh, organizations like the Lighthouse that can better help you understand. So Ian, if you want to take it away. Thanks. Um, start out with the bad news first. There are unfortunately, for a peer support model, there are not many options in Canada. Um, in fact, amazing as this is to hear, there are two organizations in the entire country that are doing the peer support model like we do at Lighthouse. So there's us in Oakville and there's the Season Centre in Barrie. And if you don't live in Barrie or in the GTA, wow. you're out of luck. Um, there are other organizations that, are, that have different models that are doing different things, but in the peer support model that we do, that's it. Um, so thankfully, uh, nowadays, as I'm about to sound like an old man, because back in my day, we didn't have the internet. Um, <laughs> but now you can find places online. Um, in Canada, one of the best places to start if you're looking for information for yourself or for a friend who's grieving the death of somebody, um, there is, uh, CAGSI, which is the Canadian Alliance for Grieving Children and Youth. And uh, it's various organizations, including Lighthouse, have come together to create this site. Um, and on the CAGSI website, uh, there is a list by province of organizations that, that provide support. They won't be the same model. Everyone, some of them are, are uh, counselors, uh, therapists. Uh, some of them are group models. Um, but there is that. That is, that is a very good place to start. Um, Ontario specifically, there is Bereaved Families of Ontario, uh, which also has resources on their website um, and connects uh, parents and children uh, with grief support. Um, in smaller towns, it's harder to find things. I know the Victorian Order of Nurses have a few locations in southwestern Ontario. Uh, but their their children and youth groups are very limited. I believe it's only for children between the ages of five and twelve. So those organizations that I mentioned, those are if you're looking for resources, uh, either for you directly, if you're a grieving teen and you you want resources, those are good places to start. But they're also good places for you if you're a friend of a grieving teen. You can find resources there that will maybe better better help better equip you to help them. Uh, if you're a person in distress, I mean, obviously there are. There's um, here in Halton, there's a Halton distress line, there's kids help phone. Um, but for general purposes, those, those are probably the best places to start. Yeah, I know for me, when all of this happened, I actually heard about Lighthouse from my psychologist who is based in Oakville. I didn't hear about it from, from schools or online or even, you know, in the hospital. 
I got all my information from <laughs> just one woman. So it's it's a little bit distressing that these resources aren't as as well known. So I'm really glad that we're putting this out there. Yeah, and um, that's a good place to also to start. Is uh, your 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 therapist, your family doctor? People too often don't think of the family doctor as a resource for anything other than I have a fever. What is it? You know, give me penicillin. Yeah. Um, no, your family doctor, hopefully, and we reach out, uh, we have our annual grief symposium, and we do have professionals from all walks of life that attend that, including doctors. And so that's better spreading the word. Um, and that can be a good connection. And I left out, sorry, I left out one organization in this area that's also very good for uh, children and teens is uh, Rock. That's the Reach Out Center for Kids. Yes. And I know we wanted to touch on another important point of children's grief, which um, we, I don't believe we mentioned earlier, but it was about bullying. So Ian, would you like to talk about that? Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I forgot to mention that earlier because that is a big one. Um, and it's one of the ones that uh, adults are continually shocked by um, because they don't realize how common it is for children and teens. Um, it's distressing how common it is. Children will hear comments accusing them of being attention seekers, um, as if they've had any control over anything that has happened in the first place. Um, I've heard, uh, teens quite often, uh, from a few of them, um, being questioned as to why they're happy that if they're in the hallway one day sharing a joke with somebody and somebody walking past making a comment, why are you laughing? Your, your sister died. What? What the hell do you have to laugh about? Um, bullying takes many different forms. And I don't know what it is in, in human beings that makes us find what that difference is in somebody else uh, and single them out for it. But if you want something that really singles you out from the group, um, being a grieving child or a grieving teen definitely makes you different from, from everybody else. And unfortunately, sometimes makes, makes those people the victims yeah. of bullying. Um, and while we're on the topic of things that I forgot, there was one other thing I'd wanted to mention. <laughs> Um, uh, and that was my little thing I get worked up about the, the stages of yeah. grief. Um, there is a, it was effective enough in its time, uh, but it is an outdated belief that there are set stages of grief and you've probably all heard some of them, the, you know, the, the, uh, denial acceptance, the, all, it's all rubbish. It, it's not a thing. And unfortunately far too many people still think that this is an actual valid explanation of the grieving process. Yeah. And it's not the grieving process. First off, doesn't have an end. There is no, the stages of grief have a completion. There is no completion to grief though. It's, it's something that goes on. It changes over time, but it never ends. You don't stop grieving. I'm, I was 16 years old when my mom died. I'm 49 now. Um, I still grieve her death. I don't, it doesn't mean that I wake up in the morning and I cry and I'm miserable um, because it's been a lot of years. Uh, but I still grieve the death of my mom and all of those milestone events we talked about earlier that she was never part. I have two children. She's a grandmother, but she never got to be a grandmother because I had these two children were born years after she died. So that's the diff one of the big things about the grieving children and teens is that grieving process continues. The day my children were born was a fantastically happy day. And it also sucked. It really sucked. 
and I couldn't really tell anybody about it um, because, you know, I should have been able to like say, here, look, mom, here's your grandson. Um, and you're robbed of that when, when somebody dies when you're young. So the stages of grief, not a thing. You'll be happy one day. You'll be, you'll be happy one day and sad later that same day and then angry later in the day from that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a wave. It's cyclical. It's a mess. It's just a hurricane of emotions, and you're going to feel different ones at different times. I remember you talking about this, Ian, in one of our first, one of the first groups that I attended about the stages of grief, because I remember being in, you know, the early days after losing my dad thinking, where am I? You know, this isn't what I'm supposed to be feeling. What happened to denial? Isn't that the first one? I don't think I had that. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it really does not exist. You might feel those things. You might feel denial. You might feel anger, all those things, but you're not going to feel it in... One, two, three, four, five, done. Like that's it does not exist. It's yeah. not going to happen. And no one should feel like they're grieving wrong or that, you know, they're wrong or they're messed up because they can't grieve properly or in this direct set of rules way. Because it doesn't exist. It does not matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. And it becomes harmful um when somebody thinks that it is a thing and maybe the person in your life died um eight months ago and somebody thinks well you you must have reached acceptance by now why are you still move on what's why are you still hung up on this it's it's done you should have accepted it by now that's it's it's not only rubbish yeah. it's harmful to that grieving person i think um the thing i was thinking about is just when i'm thinking of these stages it almost sounds linear and it's like you were saying it's not linear and especially like those milestones or like, you know how sometimes there are certain days in your memories that stick out to you and that continues during your life or it's just not like, oh, a week and then I'm going to be in acceptance. It's not like that. And I think that's so important for even people yeah. who are grieving to recognize, as you were saying, Aaron, because there shouldn't be expectations on when you should get over some, like something like that. And I feel like it almost forces the person going through the grieving process to be like, okay, I'm just going to force myself to not feel the emotions that I'm supposed to be feeling and that are okay to be feeling because I need to move on from this because there's the stages of grief that exist to show me how I should be. And that's so damaging, not only I would say in the moment, but also I would say it has an effect psychologically on almost forcing yourself to get over almost like a traumatic event that, you know, carries on throughout life. Yeah. And with those milestones, I know for me about a month or two months, no, a month after my dad died, I was in the school play. And that was my first time, you know, performing without my dad in the audience. And that was really hard for not only me, but for my mom and the rest of my family as well to be like, you know, he's not here. And that was a month after. And now I think, you know, I'm getting accepted to universities, I'm going to be turning 18 and graduating high school. That will be two years. Yet it still feels the same. There's no difference in that. That absence does not go away. Yeah. That's actually crazy that stages of grief is like, it's almost popularized, I would say. I think that is almost the one thing of grief that everybody knows is the stages of grief. Yeah. Which is scary because it's the one thing that is yeah, complete lies. 
it's so damaging to to yourself to others it is damaging i mean think of you know what if this were not stages of grief but what if this were cpr and there was this misinformation out there that the best thing to do for somebody who's who's having a heart attack or has passed out is to you know lift their feet up in the air and and slap them in the cheek you know like (laughs) that's if if that's the common belief that that's how we're going to save their life well that's damaging you know, we need to educate people that no, don't do that. Here's what you do: you check the airway and you see if there's a pulse and you begin compressions. And so, with the stages of grief, we have this damaging, harmful misinformation out there that people think I'll follow this and this is what I'll do to help. And yeah, it doesn't. I wish that wasn't the narrative being pushed out, and I wish that again, like uh, going back to how institutions should educate on children's grief. I wish there was a component maybe in the educational system which talked about children's grief because as you were saying, the statistics really speak for themselves and it honestly shouldn't be that people deal with educating themselves on children's grief when it happens to either themselves or someone they're close with, but they are previously educated and maybe have a better understanding of how the actual grieving process looks like rather than, you know, a step of <laughs> lies really <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> I've gotten pretty lucky in terms of um, authority figures in my life and how they've handled it and how they've been there for me and how they've supported me and the things that they have put in place. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. But I think that the teachers in my life that have been the most supportive since then are teachers that have actually gone through it. Because I've talked to some teachers and they've said, you know, oh, I lost my parent when I was in my early 20s, or I lost this person when I was... And they're the ones that know what to do, that know what to say, that that give me the time that I need. And it shouldn't be up to just us in the future, to people like Ian who have gone through this to help people like me. Yeah. It really should be an effort by everybody. Yeah, and I think that's another thing about resources, how do we make resources more accessible? How do we raise awareness? And there's all sorts of things. But I feel like the major issue here is just the lack of general knowledge concerning children's grief. And really that results in all these conversations that um, are kind of backed with the pre-notioned existence of the steps of grief or concepts that aren't actually probably... I would say that the the steps of grief didn't actually come from somebody dealing with grief. It was kind of characterized by what people saw and what they thought they saw, but not actually somebody going through, you know, the grieving process. So it's that whole idea of creating almost outlets for people who have gone through the grieving process to speak on it and to raise awareness, but also letting people who haven't gone through the grieving process or may not be directly related to that process also letting them know on what they can do and how to raise awareness because that's a whole thing it can't just be pushed on a certain day or a certain month it's that whole idea of acknowledging it always so i think that's an important thing so in closing just to reiterate if anyone listening right now is struggling with grief or knows someone who is how can they find the resources to better support themselves and their loved ones so probably the most all-encompassing um, place on the web for Canadians is the, uh, the Canadian Alliance for Grieving Children and Youth. 
Um, it is a pretty comprehensive database broken down by province for support groups of different kinds and for um, different ages, for children, for teens, and for their, their parents or guardians as well. Um, beyond the Canadian Alliance for Grieving Children and Youth, there's um, Bereaved Families of Ontario, there's the Children and Youth Grief Network. Um, on Twitter, I'd come across an organization called Teenage Grief Sucks, uh, which I'm still researching. I don't know enough about yet, but it sounds like it's uh, pretty interesting. It's uh, by teens, for teens. Um, so those are pretty good places uh, for resources. I would definitely go for CAGC as, as your, your main go-to. And if you are in distress uh, or you know somebody who is, then um, a distress call line like uh, Halton Distress Center here in Oakville, um, Kids Help Phone, those would be the places to go to. Thank you so much again, Ian, for just joining us and speaking on children's grief and also Aaron. Um, this has been such an eye-opening conversation from somebody who's on the outside and, you know, has never experienced loss. Um, and it was just so informative. And I really appreciate you guys just speaking on your own experience and resources and Lighthouse. And, you know, we'll be um talking about lighthouse in the description under the episode so if you guys would like to check out that more definitely for sure but thank you guys so much again for coming thank you thank you for listening thank you for um for heading this awareness and bringing it to to kids in need at cawthor and beyond thank you so much Elena. this has been my sincere pleasure thank you